amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When we have something we've determined to do in our mind, it's a good thing when it's a spiritual thing we've determined. Some of us might have determined to sin when we were younger. Not now. You're not doing that, I hope. But Paul, we saw his determination was different than that. If you look at verse 2, Paul says, I determined to know nothing amongst you except for Christ and him crucified. This is my determination. There's nothing else I want you to know except that Jesus Christ died for you. He was crucified for your sins. And when you know that, when you know what Christ did for you on the cross, when Jesus died Remember the last three words he said on the cross? Three words he said, it is finished. And Paul knew that the power of the gospel is really found in the fact of what Christ did on the cross. The Jews, they had all that instruction about all the sacrifices that would have to be made every time they sinned, they'd have to go and confess. So when Paul came to Corinth, this church, what we talked about, they were in a really spiritually dark place. It'd be like going to Las Vegas. It had a lot of traffic commerce going through. It had a lot of sailors coming to the ports. So it had the brothels and all the stuff going on. But God put a little church in this dark place spiritually to shine. It only takes a little bit of light when it's dark. And God was using this little church as a light in this really dark community. So Paul says, guys, I determined that you would know Christ and you would know him crucified. You would know where the power of the gospel is. Now, remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That means he was studied, like we would say, out the kazoo. He had his doctorate in theology. And yet he didn't fall back on all of those, let me wow you with my fancy verbiage about God, and let me give you this really complicated message. Look at verse 1 of this chapter. He said right here, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I didn't make it real fancy. I just called it straight what it is. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. There's the one that paid for our sins. I determined to know nothing else than this. And when I was with you, in verse 3, I was with you in weakness, and I was with you in fear and much trembling. Now, some folks don't know the story of Paul's journeys, how they went, but we get to cheat. We have the book of Acts. It tells us about his missionary journeys. It gives some of the background to them. And in the book of Acts, I love the book of Acts because you kind of see the real rubber meets the road of their Christian adventure in the early church how things went down. And Paul says, I was with you, he says, with fear and much trembling and in weakness. Now, some guys don't realize this. I mean, you read about Paul, he would write from jail things like, pray for me to have more boldness in preaching the gospel. I'm like, why are you praying for boldness? You're so bold, you got thrown in jail for the gospel. Hardly seems like you got a problem with boldness. But yet, he's saying, guys, pray that I would continue to stay bold. But when you look at Acts 18, Turn with me to Acts. I want to show you something. The more you know about the background to this church, you will get so much more out of reading this letter. In Acts 18, on his second missionary journey, Paul actually passes into Corinth, and he stays in Corinth, where we find it in Acts 18, verse 11, that he settled in Corinth for a year and six months. 
teaching the word of God among them. Some folks don't realize this missionary journey, they think it's just like a little, they see the little dots on the map and a little line and they think, oh, I just zipped around. But you add his time travel for these journeys, they weren't short back then. It wasn't like you just hopped a plane or a train to go. You had to hike. You had to hoof it from place to place. And he gets to different places. And in some places, we find out that we know from the hints of what he writes, I bear you witness that you guys really had a great love for me when I got to you. My eyesight, my eyes were having such troubles. You showed me such love. I bear witness that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if it was possible because of the pain I was in. Now, somehow Paul must have encountered some suffering in his travels, that he picked up something. They say in that Mediterranean region, there's some kind of thing that attacks the eye and it makes it start to weep like a weepy pus. He probably contracted this. And the only thing they could tell him to do in that day was get away from the shoreline where it's moist and go inland. And so if you look at Paul's missionary journey, he's all along the coastlines doing his traveling by boat. And all of a sudden, he hikes inland into Asia Minor, and he stays inland. And he writes that he came to Corinth because of much fear and trembling. Now, you wouldn't know this unless you read the book of Acts. What was making him afraid? What was going on in Paul's life? He's preaching the gospel. He's traveling around. He's sharing the good news of the Lord. Let me just show you in Acts 18. After these things, Paul left to Athens, and then he went on to Corinth. In verse 2 of Acts chapter 18, it says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And this is why Priscilla and Aquila left, by the way, Italy. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And so he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, Aquila was a tent maker, they stayed on and they were working together. And Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. And he was trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks about Jesus. And so it says, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself strictly and completely to the word of God, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, the Christ. And so when they resisted and they blasphemed, Paul shook out his garments and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. Look, I told you the gospel straight. You don't want to receive it. By the way, sometimes this is an attitude that I have to pay attention to, is if you tell someone and they don't want it, we're not good at doing the, I shake my thing off and I move on. We like kind of go, oh, let me try again, or let me see if I can get a different approach. Paul is showing us, look, if they don't want to hear it, shaking of the garment was like saying, all right, I shake the dust off my feet. Goodbye. I'm moving on. I'll go to someone else who does. There are people who want to hear this. So why sit there and force it down the throat of someone who doesn't want to hear it? Because if they don't want to hear it, do they actually hear? No, they might hear words, blah, 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 but the message doesn't get in. And so Paul had done his preaching to the Jews and the Gentiles alike that had gathered at the synagogue, and they didn't listen. So he just went, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. Now, the only way he could say he was clean is that he did preach to them. They didn't receive it. So he's being clean just like the prophet in the Old Testament when the Lord spoke to him and said, you warn the people when I tell you warn them. And if you warn them and they don't heed the warning, then their blood is on their own heads. If you don't warn them when I tell you to warn them, then their blood will be on your head. 
So Paul didn't shrink away from warning them. He told them like it was, but he said, look, I'm clean now. From now on, I go to the Gentiles. Now he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus. Titus Justus was a worshiper of God and his house was next to the synagogue. Now Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And then we get to verse 11, and he settled there for a year and six months, teaching them the word of God amongst them. Why would God come to you in the night and say, don't be afraid? Do you think he was afraid? He had to have been. He had to have been afraid when he was at Corinth. When he turned from preaching to the Jews and said, I'm going to go to the Gentiles now, there was a fear in him. And God had to come to him in the night and say, listen, don't be afraid. I'm with you. They're not going to harm you here. Now, had Paul been harmed before this? Had he encountered any suffering for the gospel yet? On his previous <laughs> stoning to death, thrown over the wall as dead, just a few minor inconveniences. Yeah, he had, and the Lord showed him in that night vision, it's okay, I'm with you. And he went on and he taught them the word of God. Now, listen to verse 12. But while Galileo was the proconsul of Acacia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and they brought him before the judgment seat saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if this was a matter of wrong, or this was of a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there's such as questions about words and names in your own law, you look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to judge these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. This is one of the few times he escapes the beaten. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren, put out to sea for Syria, and with him there was Priscilla and Aquila, the tent makers. They went with him. And in Centuria, he had his hair cut. He was keeping a vow. And then they came to Ephesus. And he left them there. And he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he didn't consent. But he took leave of them. He said, I'll return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And then he landed there at Caesarea. And he went back and greeted his church down in Antioch. So, this is the end of the second missionary journey. Paul founded the church at Corinth and then went off to Ephesus just for a short stay. And the people in Ephesus wanted him to stay, by the way. Well, if you read the next chapter, he's going to go to his home church in Antioch, stay for just a little while, and then say, you know, we ought to go back and check on the guys. And he will wind up keeping his word. He said, if the Lord wills, I'll come back to you guys at Ephesus. He goes back to Ephesus and he winds up staying there for two years pastoring in Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, that's when he writes the letters 1st and 2nd Corinthians. 57 AD, 58 AD, he writes 1st and 2nd Corinthians. This is how the church was strengthened 
by Paul's influence, being there with them in Corinth for a year and a half, then leaving, going back to his home church in Antioch, turning around, going on his third missionary journey. Turn with me now to Corinthians. I want to show you something about this experience. Because Paul, when he was in Ephesus for such a time, he started writing to these different churches. He'll write the book of Romans. And he writes First and Second Corinthians while he's there at Ephesus. These really juicy discourses that he shares. And here, Paul tells us in verse 4, My message and my preaching, they were not in persuasive words of wisdom. I'm not a smooth talker. But they were in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, this is really important for our faith. When your faith rests on some eloquent speaker, just that pizzazz that they have, that flashy way, it's all great until you hit some rocky spots in life. But when your faith rests on the power of God, and you're taught the power of God is where our source is, when your faith is established on that fact that the Lord is almighty, he can do things no matter what the circumstance is, then when stuff gets tough, those eloquent words that can't rescue, the power of God can. And Paul, he wanted them to know it was the power of God that was what he was interested in them coming to know. His power, the power of his spirit. God's spirit is so good at helping us if we let him. So many times we have that little voice inside telling us to do something. And some of us have learned that it goes well when you listen. But not just listen, you obey what the voice is telling you. You do that thing that God's just putting on your heart to do. And it can be such a simple little thing. But you know those simple little acts of obedience lead to the blessings that the Lord has for us. Well, we just obey. It's such a simple thing to teach, but it's a hard thing to get people to practice. They just resist the idea of, well, you want me to trust a God that I can't see? The God you say that made everything and knows everything and has all power? I'm like, yeah, that's what I want you to do. Because look at the option. It's trust you with your finite brain or me with mine. I mean, we don't really have all knowledge. Well, Paul says, I came to you and I preached to you, but not with persuasive, super smooth preaching. I just preached to you with words of wisdom. Paul says, I preached for you to have this wisdom of God. I want you to know what to do. I want you to know what God would have you do. That's solid. That's what we need. My preaching with the words of wisdom and with the demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God's Spirit. Now, see, there is power in God's Spirit. Some people, they just, they like to say things like, oh, you know, back then, that was for then. God did those miracles. Turn to Acts 5 real quick. It's Acts 5, 12. Many signs and wonders were taking place amongst the people, and they were all in one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest dare associate with the apostles. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly being added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets, and they laid them on cots and pallets, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. 
and the people from the city of the vicinity of jerusalem were coming together bringing people who were sick or afflicted and with unclean spirits and they were all being healed man they just went if we could just get peter's shadow to fall on these sick people the power of god was so present with these apostles they just went line the sick wait your son's on this side of the street that means the shadow's over here right Put them on this side. Everybody, here he comes. Can you just see them shoving the sick people over to one side of the road so they can get them ready? Here comes Peter just walking by. His shadow touches him. The guy pops up. Shadow touches him, pops up. The guy that's possessed, he gets freed from the evil spirit. I mean, this would be pretty cool. The power of God was with them. Now, some people say that was only for back then. God did miracles because they needed to get the church started. It was like a little spiritual boost. Well, we don't have that today. He doesn't do that anymore. I'm here to unequivocally tell you that's a lie. The same Spirit of God that worked back then still works miracles today. He still frees people today. He still heals people. How many of you guys have prayed for someone who was sick and they recovered? You go, oh, okay. Some people say to me, well, I don't know. That's not like really a miracle. That could have just been natural amount of time for the healing to take. Has any of you witnessed a prayer what was given for someone sick and they got instantly healed? Or physically God touched them? I have. In fact, the fun part is the longer that you're in the Lord, the more you realize it's not you. Only the Lord that does it. But if you leave room for the Lord, I say leave lots of room for the Lord because he's really good at his job. The more room you leave for him to do his stuff, he does stuff. It just blows my mind, the things that he does. An analytical investigator did a study on the book of Acts, and he's trained to assess facts and if things really happen. And those analytical guys, they think in a different, I call it backdoor thinking. You know, they're like, if this really happened, then not just the guy that happened to or the narrator will say something about it, but it will have an effect on other people. And you'll get their witness, their testimonies. And that's what those investigators do. They go and they find the testimonies of different people. It's weird how they deduce things. But let me show you what they would do. There was a fellow who did this to the book of Acts. Read the next verse of Acts 5, verse 17. It says, But the high priest rose up, along with his associates, and that is the sect of the Sadducees. Now, if you don't know the group of Sadducees, the Sadducean group, Easy way to remember, they are sad, you see. And the reason they are sad, you see, is because they don't believe in any resurrection. They don't believe in anything supernatural that can't be explained by natural means. Anything that God would do in the power of his spirit, they go, we don't believe in it. We have sad, you sees today. I'm, they just don't call themselves that. But they would be back in this day, they would be called the Sadducean group. And it says, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. And during the night, an angel of the Lord came. He opened the gates of the prison and took them out. He said, go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. And upon hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together. And even the Senate, the sons of Israel, sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came, they didn't find them in the prison. And they reported back and they said, we found the prison house locked quite securely. The guards were standing at the doors. But when we opened it up, we didn't find anyone inside. 
Now, when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed as to what had happened and what would come about of this. And someone came and reported, the men who you put in prison are now standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. And the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. For they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. They were worried, man, we're going to get a beaten from these people. Now, here's what the forensic guy, he goes, wait a minute. If this story really happened, were there any other witnesses? And what was their take about the whole story? It must have happened. You don't go arrest guys and have them beaten and thrown in jail if there's not some reason. And by the way, that part's recorded in secular history. You don't even need the Bible to prove this happened. You can read the history books and they write about that they had these prisoners that they locked up and somehow they got there the next morning and the prison house is completely locked secure. The guards are still in their spot and the guys got out. The unexplainable prison escape. Except we know what happened. An angel just went, guys, come on. And they go right on preaching. Now, you guys, the Red Axe, you know... They brought him before the council, told him, we gave you strict orders not to do this anymore. In verse 29, Peter answered and the apostles, they said, we must obey God rather than men. And the God of the fathers that raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross, he is the one who got exalted to his right hand as a prince, as a savior, to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. To the ones who obey God, what do you get as a gift? The Holy Spirit. If you're just willing to obey, God will give you his spirit. And his spirit can lead you. His spirit can guide you. His spirit can comfort you when you're having a really bad day. You know, one of the sweetest things about just being willing to obey the Lord is that his spirit comforts you. And Peter, Peter witnessed this with the apostles. They get arrested for preaching and they get thrown in jail. They get released. By the way, does this happen ever again to Peter? Remember the one time he gets thrown in jail and he thinks it's a dream. The angel says, get up, let's go. And the doors keep opening in front of them and then closing behind them. And Peter thought, this is a really good dream. I'm being escorted by an angel out of the." And then he gets all the way out into the hills outside of Jerusalem and a cold wind hits him and he wakes up. He was like a sleepwalker. He's like, wait a minute, this isn't a dream. I'm really out of the jail. And God's spirit has power to do stuff. Don't think God can't open jail doors. Nothing to the Lord. So here, this happens to them. Well, you know what happened to Paul? Paul, when he went on to Ephesus, right after he founded that church at Corinth, went back to his home church and then back out, and he gets to Ephesus. And you know what? He's there in Ephesus in chapter 19 of Acts. And he's there for two years. And all who heard the word of the Lord all the way throughout Asia, they all, Jews and Greeks alike, heard the word of the Lord to such an extent. This is Acts 19, verse 11. And God was performing extraordinary miracles at the hands of Paul. So that even the handkerchiefs, and here's Paul, he's like, hot, man, so in his tents, wipes off, sets his hanky down, and they would come and they would steal it. They would take his handkerchief. They'd think, well, Paul touched this. We have proof. It's got his sweat on it. 
they took it to the sick people and they laid it on them. Because they go, Paul touched this, right? Got like power from God on it. And they touched the sick. And you know what happened to the sick people? It's like Peter's shadow. Poof, they pop up. People are possessed. Be gone. Little sweaty rag. Demon digs out. And they're like, this works great. Poor Paul couldn't hold on to a handkerchief. His apron. They'd steal his apron. Paul wore this. Throw it on him. I love this. The word of the Lord spread mightily so that even if the handkerchief was put on the body of a sick person or diseased person, they would be healed. The evil spirits, verse 12, it says, would leave and go out from them just from that little handkerchief. If I taught you that we have a really powerful God that could do anything and you learn your faith like that and you had a crossroad or a bump in the road in your faith that's hard, but you have been grounded in the power of his spirit. How will you fare compared to the person who just heard some fancy eloquent preaching and didn't really learn the power of the cross, didn't learn the power of God's spirit? How do they fare when they hit those hard times in life? How many of you know people that used to be in the faith but say, yeah, I was, but then I had a hard spell and I don't do that anymore? Are they out there? Yeah. It's because they weren't grounded on the thing what Paul said, I determined that you would know. Christ and him crucified. And the power of his spirit. If you know those things, you're going to be able to hold fast even in a dark society. The Corinthians are in a really bad place. And yet Paul's going, I need you to know this. God's power and his son crucified. And you'll make it. That's what we need today. Because it can get really dark. But if you're holding on to the light, you got the source of his power. You're going to make it. And it only takes that little bit of light to see your way. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.